Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Thanks for tuning in today. So today we're going to talk about movement, meditation, and probably a lot more. So the guest I got in today is a guy that I've known for a few years. He probably thought I was a bit weird when I met him the first time. I definitely had the, that feeling about him. But he's since grown to be one of my role models when it comes to movement and also to reflect upon life. I always get a bit challenged when I meet him, which is, is always a, a wonderful thing, even though you don't always agree. It's always good to have those people that push your boundaries a bit and, uh, and make you think about stuff. So I actually, I made a kind of a vision board or inspiration board where I've put pictures of some of the people that inspire me the most within different areas. So I have Anthony Robbins as one of them. I have Dilama on, I have the founder of IDEO, and then I have Jeppe Skorgård. I actually have Steve Hawkins as well. Mm. So uh, a really great amount of people to be in that category. It's a great company. And when I write down my goals for, uh, for movement and mobility, I, I have Jeppe as, uh, as my mm-hmm. movement target. The problem is he continues to, to progress as well. So uh, it's a target that I'm probably never going to reach, but it's still a good one to have there. So uh, Jeppe is also the founder, co-founder of Move Copenhagen, a movement conference with 700 people here in Copenhagen. He was one of the early guys in Paco mm-hmm. in Europe. Paco. Paco. I'm still trying to learn how to pronounce that. And the next one is going to be just as hard, Acro Yoga. Great. Getting that out in Europe as well. So we're super pleased to have you in here. And he's also the co-founder of Word, which mm-hmm. is where he's spending most of his time. But we're going to talk more about that. Jeppe, welcome so much. Thanks. I want to be here. So Jeppe, how did you get into all of this movement? Well, um, back in high school, I was doing zero. I, um, I was drinking a lot of coffee, talking a lot of politics, reading a lot of books. And um, when I got to the third year of high school, doing the exams, I was struggling with uh, sleep deprivation. Um, so I was laying there in bed at night, and, um, and one day, or one night, um, I decided to go out in the city, and I started climbing buildings. And after a few hours of climbing, which was, of course, deeply exciting, uh, I I eventually um, came to peace and I got home and I could sleep and so I started doing that and after a few weeks of doing that I um, I told one of my friends Andreas the guy I actually ended up uh, founding Move Copenhagen with some years later uh, I told him about it and he told me that it reminded him of uh, the French uh, movement discipline parkour uh, that I hadn't heard of at that time that was back in two thousand and six. Um, so I looked uh, around and there happened to be another few people in, in Denmark um, practicing parkour and I, um, I joined forces with them and, um, and quickly, since we were the only one doing it, we also became the first one to teach it. And after a few weir- years, I moved to Copenhagen to study and I met with Street Movement, who was the most organized back then uh, in terms of teaching and the most... I'd say qualified or interested in the philosophy. And we went to France together. We met the founders from Yamakasi. Um, and I remember the first time crawling. We, they, they really brought a lot of the philosophy into our, uh, into our 
conditioning into our practice. And I remember the first time crawling with Laurent Montessi, one of the founders. And all everybody wanted to practice with him, and nobody wanted to do the hard work. That was basically it. They had these initiation rituals for people to get to play with them. And um, we were outside Parc du Lac, like a, a legendary park where they used to practice. And we were just crawling. I remember we were crawling for one and a half hours. We could not stand up. It was just crawling. And after one and a half hours, my hands were full of blisters. And uh, at that point, Laurent said, okay, well done. Now we need to get back. And then he just started reversing. He just started slowly, patiently crawling backwards. Um, and of course, that ritual was because they didn't want fires. They didn't want people that just were there for the quick rush or whatever. And because there's a high risk in parkour. Um, and that, that, that changed something, that experience. Uh, and it formed a lot how the parkour community uh, evolved uh, the, the years after in Copenhagen, that we really decided to focus a lot on conditioning and on tough conditioning. And, and in a, on a conditioning that was so demanding physically, that you need to burn parts of your ego to be there. Um, so that was how I, how I started the movement journey. Um, we practiced a lot. We taught a lot. And um, after some years, we wanted to jump longer. Uh, and at that time, CrossFit was just starting to become a thing. Um, and we got a few of the, the pros from the CrossFit world to come about and, and teach us. Um, and that developed our strength uh, immensely. My problem was that I was easily strong enough already. I was not looking for more strength. Um, so doing a strength session or doing a, a CrossFit session, um, I, I all of a sudden fainted um, with a huge bang to my head and I was hospitalized. Uh, for a few days I was lying in hospital and I couldn't move because they thought I had an aneurysm. Um, <clears throat> but they couldn't find anything. Um, so I'm curious, I couldn't leave again. And, um, I went to the doctor and I remember the doctor and meeting the doctor uh, and he also couldn't figure it out. Then he put his hand on my shoulder and, and he was like, what is this? And he was holding my muscle, but he said, it felt like a bone. And he said, if this is what you're carrying around, then I don't think there's anything like an aneurysm. You've just choked yourself out from being too tense. Um, and when I realized that, that it was kind of my own strength that had become my biggest weakness. Um, I figured I was strong enough um, and I stopped doing parkour. And looking back that uh, the crowd and the scene back then was amazingly macho. And um, we, uh, we were just going bigger, going higher. Um, so it was time to leave it. And I started yoga. Um, did yoga for some years and I thought it was very weird. I remember a friend of me, Simon Kohn, who's also a teacher here in Copenhagen, uh, telling me about the first times I entered his classes. My nickname in the parkour world was Hulk. And to get that in the parkour world, then you know you also have to stand out in in, <laughs> in a yoga class in Copenhagen. <coughs> yeah. Simon telling me how... Especially the early days yeah. of the yoga studios, where you didn't see as many guys. No, no. It was, and I was in a pair of blue shorts, and like there was a stream of sweat running from my mat onto the other <laughs> it was a big mess um, and it was weird to lie there in a soft environment with a soft yoga voice I was I was built and my body and my neurosystem was built in a world of concrete and in a world of risk where we were standing high up and needed to survive and needed to stay strong to protect ourselves and all of a sudden there was this 
unarmoring process going on where a teacher with a very soft yoga voice was telling me how to relax. Um, but slowly, the teachers managed to convince me to relax and slowly started to feel amazing. Um, and I've never looked back since. I've been practicing yoga consistently um, since then, which is probably for the past eight, nine years. Um, that led into becoming a yoga teacher. Um, that led into starting to teach acro yoga, which is a more social or community-based yoga form where you practice with a partner. And and again, the same story continued. There was no teachers in Copenhagen. There was one, and then me, and we joined forces and started teaching acro yoga. We started building that community, which was basically just joining on one mat and, and, and finding the yoga uh, together. And uh, I think due to my mixture of parkour and acro yoga, that soon had enough crisp to become something that you could export. Um, so actually by the time we met each other um, in Copenhagen Business School, I was basically teaching full-time acro yoga around the cities, metropoles of, of Europe um, already. Um, I guess that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the, quick, um, the quick journey I was on, first practicing a lot with the city, then practicing alone on my mat, and then thirdly practicing with other people. And, and, and basically... That is, um, that is what we've put together, both with Move Copenhagen as a festival, but also with Rørt, uh, the movement community I founded a year ago. Um, it's basically bringing the qualities of the different movement styles together. Yeah. And now you, you're doing Rørt mm-hmm. almost full time. Mm-hmm. Can you say a few more words about what that is? Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, the... We call that a movement community. And um, and why is the word movement so important? It's important because there is so much more to it than only yoga. And we believe, and that's the core promise in the name Rat, that a lot of different styles of movement can be touching. Rat means to be touched. It also means to be physically, to physically be moving or to be touched physically by someone else. So it has a lot of different aspects and meanings to it. And we think all of it is valuable in creating a character, in creating a human that can live and enjoy life. Um, in To some degree, it seems like yoga and meditation over the past 10 years has received some kind of patent on touching people, on developing people, being the thing you do when you want self-development. But in Rod, we believe and see that a parkour class can be just as touching or a run, or lying and fighting someone else until you can't do anything more and you lie there and you have to surrender and sweat and just not be strong enough or whatever it is, might be just as uh, groundbreaking for you as a character than sitting on a meditation pillow. So, So to coin it as movement instead of yoga or whatever is important for us because we think all of it basically holds the promise of yoga, that it can lift us higher, that it can give us freedom. Yeah. So why is movement so important? Movement or moving. 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 So I think uh, the movement in 2019 and the effects, the potential of movement can only be underestimated. And, um, And I guess for a person that is stuck, that is not feeling flow, an obvious, almost just like listening to the word, an obvious choice would be to start moving, to start bringing something in. 
Um, I believe that movement has the potential to connect us to the deepest in ourselves. It has the potential to connect us with other people. And it has fundamentally also the potential to connect us to the surrounding world. Um, and I, our diagnosis, my diagnosis is that we are living in cities. We are living increasingly closer to each other, but we touch each other less and less. We are being more and more connected, but we're feeling increasingly disconnected. So we have these paradoxes that although we have an amazing social media connection, it just doesn't seem to help us. It doesn't seem to rock our boats as people of emotions, uh, as people with a spiritual longing. Um, and, and as I see it, whenever we move, we have a chance to break that separation. We have a chance to realize that we belong, um, be it in nature or in the company of another person or with yourself, that you belong in this body. Um, and, and as much as people are coming to yoga to become flexible or are joining a handstand course to learn to do a handstand, they come back because they sense something that is deeper and much more important than that little gig. Um, and that is connection, ultimately. Yeah. And there's so much research as well mm. saying that we need to move. Yeah. How important it is for depression, mm. for all kinds of diseases that we have. So I think most people kind of get it now, but it's not the same as we really do it. Yeah. And on top of that, uh, depression, we have um, stress yeah. um, being a huge challenge. And, 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 and an interesting thing is I was working with a, a corporate group recently and um, and back to the point about why, why is movement important? He had, there was one of, one of the clients who told me that he had uh, started to become a little bit stressed. And until that point, his strategy has always been to come home from work and then start cooking. He was Italian, so when he was yeah. cooking, he would smell, he would touch the vegetables, he would get a lot of sensitivity, which is ultimately a bodily experience, whatever we sense. Um, but this was through hands, through the eyes, through the nose. But while he was getting increasingly stressed, the, the brain simply shuts down what is not needed. And for him, it shut down his ability to smell and taste. So all of a sudden, his, his savior, the cooking, was no longer interesting because he couldn't smell, he couldn't taste. And that was when he hit the wall because the last kind of window of opportunity disappeared showing that stress takes us out of the body. It makes it less juicy. It makes it less juicy to be in the body. So we start spending less time there. We start spending more time in our cognitive world, um, on social media or whatever. And the only way to heal that is yet again to show people how to come back into a body that senses and that feels stuff. Um, so, yeah, we, I think we can only underestimate. Yeah. So if we know that we have to move, there's a lot of talk about what's the best kind of movement to do, mm. whether it's CrossFit, mm. whether it's running, yoga, swimming. What, what's your take on that? Mm. Uh, <clears throat> I've definitely tried a lot. And um, my, <clears throat> my, my, my core idea is that there is not one solution fit all. And that's boring to say it would have been great. Uh, but I guess the core promise in life is also that there'll be different things that rocks different people's boats. Um, so <clears throat> if we're looking at it an, on an anatomical or like a purely physical health perspective, 
CrossFit has shown itself to be amazingly efficient in building up uh, a strong and very endurant body. It has also shown itself amazingly efficient in breaking down that same body. Um, <clears throat> meaning a lot of injuries. Meaning a lot of injuries, meaning a lot of uh, client yoga clients because they yeah. got their discs hurt uh, or slipped and they needed something else to happen. Um, so do you think that's because people are doing the exercises wrong or is it because of the way of training? Oh, I think it's it, it's because it's, uh, it's still a narrow-minded uh, exercise set. You uh, work with relatively heavy load. You are having the aspect of competition and it's relatively elitarian. You have uh, a goal to look at. Uh, yeah. I mean, as soon as you're looking towards something that is not right here, right now, you're feeling less of what is happening right here, right now. So um, I think that there's a lot of good to be said about CrossFit and they've changed lives for a lot of people and they've built a strong community, which I respect highly. And you see how much a community like CrossFit motivates people, that there is a tribe mm. that you're a part of, that there is a language. Um, but, but, but for me, I see again and again that the elitarian road, where there's only one practice, very often falls short. There's a few people that manage this and they become the elite, but the rest are struggling and they might get hurt along the way. Um, what I care for is looking at, like if I was to prescribe movement to people, I care much more for what are their, the core qualities that they would like to invite into their lives. So like the completely collapsed yogi that wants to become more flexible, I'm probably not going to prescribe that person more yoga. I want to see that person running or I want to see that person fighting yeah. and connect to that qualities because life like asks so much of us. It's not enough just to be the soft meditator. There'll also be times in your life where you need to toughen the fuck up. And, and, and for that reason, I, um, I like well, to be a place where there is a very strong idea of a beginner's mind, where there's a vibe that invites you very easily to step in to new styles of movement. My main point here is don't practice what you're good at. Practice what is good for you. And, and, and that's a biggie. That's a biggie because through our whole life, we've been paid to specialize. We've, we've, like, when we started school, we figure out what you're good at and eventually it's to become so special that you can sell that at a premium cost and be a consultant of something. And we apply that to the movement world also. We think we need to be special in something. I don't care about special. I, I care a lot more about ordinary. And I care about you figuring out how you can thrive the most in your life. And, and a lot of times that's doing something that is at start deeply uncomfortable. Mm. Like to dare to step out. Um, so, so the right movement is really um, that, that, that something you see in the eyes of people once they've gotten hold of that. Like my journey recently has been to start dancing. And I've, I've been a shitty dancer for a lot of my life. I started in probably being 13 and being in a kind of rough suburban environment where we were mostly fighting. So we made the dancing look a little bit like fighting so the people wouldn't come too close while we were dancing. And it was this robot standing, listening to techno and moving the arms, and that was kind of stuck in my body. So I've always feel ashamed when I started dancing because I could see that it looked like shit and it looked like something that belonged somewhere far out in the dark Jutland. Yeah. But my body was still doing it. 
So slowly realizing that I could free myself on the dance floor has been my trip the past year. And, and, and really, really fully wholehearted letting loose on the dance floor. I mean, it's hugely therapeutic. And I see people each week that are allowing themselves to dance. And eventually what you see there is freedom. You see them owning something that wasn't them before and writing a new chapter about who they are. And that's, that's always touching. Yeah. That's a really interesting aspect, like how you write a new chapter about yourself and who you are, mm. how we identify so much with what we do. Mm. And that's also an opportunity for doing, if we want to move somewhere else, to take a new movement in. Yeah. So for me, I think movement is very important in when choosing what kind of movement to do is, for me, it's become very social. Mm. So working a lot, loving to work because mm. I think I'm doing super interesting things that keep me super passionate and I'm in flow. But then also having time to see family and friends mm. and then do exercise. That's why I like the word movement instead, or mm. play actually. Mm. So now I try to organize mine around where can I meet some friends as well. So mm. I might not just do an Ironman and work off to that, or do CrossFit to get mm. really good at that. But then I actually try to do what do my friends want to do. Mm. So where can I meet people and where can we do something physical around that? Um, so that for me, that's back to playing football again. I haven't played that for a long time, but now I organize that and in Tuesday mornings that I meet with a group of uh, friends and play that. That's amazing. In the summer, it's wakeboarding where I've started to gather more friends or kite surfing and so on. Mm. It's also been squash. Mm. I've never been much into that kind of uh, movement, but I've seen that I can gather more friends around that. Mm. And and now, Friday mornings, I'm probably going to be doing yoga here together with a guy called Mark. Hopefully. Yay. Amazing. <laughs> Shout out to Mark for doing that. Yeah. So he used to be a professional football player, but then got injured and now he's still in a super shape but uh, he just he really makes sure he just does the movement that fits his body and his injuries perfect yeah and a lot of time that is what changes it it's an injury it's realizing that something didn't necessarily take you higher there's and 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 i think for a lot of people and probably also for a lot of the people listening and it's one of the things that i'm passionate about is figuring out what is that what does that offer you yeah that injury how is that eventually perfect that it happened? It was eventually extremely perfect that I fainted from the CrossFit practice uh, because it was telling me something very clearly about what wasn't in flow in my life. And I can see that again and again. And, 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 and the trip for me is to see that there is always practice. There is always something you can do. Like as long as there is gravity and there, there is something left of your body, you can still practice. It might be just lying there around without arms, without legs, but you can still meditate, you can still follow your breath. There's always a practice, and I find that an incredibly empowering truth to, to realize that because it becomes a lot less nervous. Mm. Figuring how sensitive it is if you have your whole identity buckled up of being something. I'm a yogi or I'm a whatever. And then you tear both of your hamstrings and you can't do dog stretch anymore, you're a shitty yogi. So 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 the flexibility of being a beginner. Like that huge ocean there is for the beginner is much, much um, more juicy for me to look at than the seriousness, the stickiness of being an expert that can only do one thing. Yeah, so I remember you gave me a, a compliment, or that's a way to frame it, when I was uh, at one of your Akko yogi sessions, when you pointed out afterwards for the crowd that uh, it was good to see the beginner's mindset. Yeah, seeing that uh, there was someone here that uh, couldn't stretch their legs 
and do the exercise, but still try to luckily was strong enough to uh, to carry the other person. But um, that's one of my goals is to be flexible. End of this year. Yeah, and and there's a lot of room for connections through that. Yeah, and 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 I think that's 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 basically also coming back to to the, to the importance uh, of the, the practice because eventually. I mean, there might be some reasons for being flexible, but but it's also like in 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 a more universal perspective, it's also completely meaningless, like to spend a life getting a more flexible hamstring. What I think is the great, the good news is that while you are lengthening your hamstrings, something else is also happening in your body. So that there is a practice that we invest ourselves in, but it's only. While we're there, at the same time, there's something happening. There might be layers dripping off our body, and, and that is what matters. But the engagement, the concrete exercise of getting, for example, straight legs, or for me to perfect my handstand, or whatever, is what keeps me there. And while I'm there, being present, I'm in my body, and that is healing. Um, so like with everything else, the process is extremely important and enjoying that. Yeah. But and so- it's so easy to be hijacked. Yeah by the product. It's always to be hijacked with with the discipline itself and you think the discipline is the most important. Like that's what I mean when I say that CrossFit because there is a, a competition and an elite attached to it, it very easily, it's very easy to convince yourself actually this CrossFit is very important and you start talking about it like it's very important and you become all serious. And, 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 and at that point, I think you're hijacked. Mm. You lost it because ultimately the goal is not... You were not invented to help out CrossFit or to fulfill CrossFit. CrossFit hopefully was invented to help you out. And, and the same goes for yoga. The, the, the postures are not there so you can kind of fulfill them. They're to lift you higher. So you, you need to see that the practice is, is the blessing, but it's also the trap. You can get trapped there. And you need as soon as you find yourself trapped, step back. It's like a double loop, seeing it from outside, seeing how ridiculous it is. Acro yoga, I mean... It's people balancing other people. It's grown-ups playing with other people on their feet. Like, absolutely value less in society. They couldn't care less about you doing that. But you believe it's so important. And it's important that you think it's important because then you invest yourself. But just the next second, be ready to look at it and be like, wow, what a, what a mad thing to do. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people listening would be like, yeah, that's all cool. I would love to do parkour, play football, do yoga and so on, but I don't have time to move. I'm busy working. Mm. I know you're on the national TV talking about that as well, how you can you actually don't need to have mm. one to two hours every day to move. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I am very often saying that in class, and I really respect people for taking time to show up to do their practice because eventually that is what matters. It's us showing up, doing something. And it doesn't need to be an hour to count. It doesn't need to be half an hour. It can be three conscious breaths right now that matters. Um, and, and, and I think um, realizing that, like how much your full presence, just counting your breath right now as we sit and talk, how much that matters is, is eventually what's going to... Uh, what might be a deal breaker in your life. Um, I care for how I place myself on the chair in the morning. Um, I 
care for being physical with uh, the people that I share office with and make sure that we uh, hug each other. Um, all of what can nurture my body, not my big brain, there's easily enough in the world to satisfy that. But how can we nurture each other as physical creatures? I think is uh, is amazingly uh, important. And my, like, I guess, if you're looking for a heck something to do right here, right now, my go-to is always, um, it's, 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 it's called open to grace in yoga. And it's, it's, it's three very simple strategies that you can apply at all times. Um, as you sit or if you're standing, whatever you're doing right now, uh, the invitation is to soften the face completely and, um, and just consider what parts of your face you can soften. Uh, probably you can release your jaws. Maybe you've been busy during the day, smiling, looking polite, looking sexy, looking whatever you've been needing to get through the day. You can try just to release that game face and let a neutral face come up. Any tension of your face you can release, but you can also let that tension melt into the rest of the body. So you just allow a softness of your skin, basically. And that's the first part of the strategy, is to soften. Second part of the strategy is to feel whatever foundation you're in contact with. Can you feel the ground through your feet? Can you feel the chair through your butt and thighs? Can you feel the back of the chair through your back? Whatever you can feel, connect to that foundation. That's the second part, is finding foundation. Wherever you are, find a foundation. Eventually, um, third part of the strategy is to start allowing the breath to flow as freely as it feels good for you right now. So attend to your breath, pay attention to how it's flowing right now and see if you can allow it to flow a little more freely. So you maintain the softness of your face, you keep the contact to the ground, you allow for the breath to flow. And if you can combine these three, the cool thing is you're most probably meditating right here, right now. And you can do that when your boss is being a dick. You can do that when your girlfriend tells you that she's going to leave you. You can do that whenever shit hits the fan. Or whenever you're in an incredibly cool situation and you just want to feel it a little more. Um, <clears throat> that one beats everything for me. You can do it doing sports. Uh, when you hit the top of Mount Everest or whatever you're doing. It's just a way to start to feel more, to create more space in your body for whatever intensity is flowing in you, and you allow space for that. My strategy doing parkour was the opposite. It was seeing that there is a risk and then tighten up further to not feel it, to not realize that. And, and that strategy wasn't sustainable. Uh, I'm much more of a strategy of creating space, of inviting freedom. Yeah. I know something else you do a lot is that something that makes people look but that's when you're walking down the street or if you're at a bus stop or something mm. else. Mm. Actually, take the chance to move there mm. instead of always sitting still or if you're at an office and so yeah. on. Getting up, so even though you're working a lot of hours, mm. just do a little bit of movement, whether yeah. it's um, squats or it's like stretching your arms and so mm. on. Yeah, it's, I mean, squatting is great. And, and I think whenever you move in the city, it becomes a political act because the city is so devoid of movement there is so little uh, movement happening it's so much like it looks like we're forgetting that we're physical creatures while we're in the city i remember being in Gomond, denmark 
uh, some years ago with Morten Ræsen, uh, telling him or teaching him how to move on a Copenhagen bank. Yeah. A classical bench. And the striking thing is that I shared it on my own wall afterwards and the, I was just preaching for the choir. Everyone loved it. Thought it was amazing. Then I then Gomond and I shared it on their wall and uh, there was a huge shit storm. Everyone hated it. They were like, oh, who's going to clean that up after you? And why do you need to play cool there? Can you do it in the studio? Ah, and look at his hair. How ugly is that? Blah, blah, blah. All sorts of shit coming at me. Um, and it's so striking how, of course, the complete other clientele that sits ready 10 o'clock Monday morning to, to comment. Um, and social media is another thing, but in a story on its own. But it was striking for me, one, partly the eco chamber, how easily we here as people that like to move can agree on it, but also how other people can feel incredibly separated from it and can feel a resistance. And it can be inconvenient for them to be reminded about that a body can actually move, that there is a connection that they're lacking in their lives. So eventually that gave birth to an incredibly incredible compassion towards those people that needed to judge it, that needed to push it away because they didn't want to didn't want to see it. So it's a political act to do it in the city, but it's also a big responsibility because we don't we're not here. There's enough separation in this country. There's enough bridges that are not being built and uh, so we need to make sure that whenever we move in the city there's an obligation to invite people in so whenever we do acro yoga we really need to make sure that it's something that brings people along uh. yeah you had a period as well where you did a lot about squatting mm. remember uh, a lot of uh, updates yeah with your squatting yeah why is uh, why is that so important um well it's not more important that so much else, but it's an amazingly easy and concrete way to go about it. And I think that's why also you remember it and why people connect to it. Because, I mean, anatomically, it's great. You have a full flexion of your ankle, a full flexion of your knee, a full flexion of your hip while sitting in a squat. It does quite a lot of good th- stuff for your digestion as you're sitting there. Um, so, 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 like, a simple movement, everybody knows it. Very few can perform it or do it. We, like... A thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, you wouldn't talk about performing a squat, but now it's becoming a performance. It's something that you need to practice in order to be able to do. Uh, and a lot of people that have played football for a long time know that it's difficult to sit down. Um, but, I mean, I saw that it had a huge uh, relevance for people and that people connected to it. And it's a statement. It's like it's showing somehow it becomes almost like a statue on the street that you're natural or that there is... It was it it became a brand uh, like so much else. There was Yeb and he had a bun on top of his head and he was doing squats um, and and I believed in it. It had always been like a, a core part of a parkour practice. Uh, so uh, so when I saw how how much people enjoyed that, I was just just sharing, just just getting it out there. Uh, and I still I still think squats are amazing. They still play a role in each yoga class I teach. Um, I'm no longer sitting in squat taking a shit. No. At least not when I'm not in India. And I can't do that anymore due to climate reasons. So I'm not officially not pooping in squat anymore. No, that's one of the big things within biohacking as well, actually, that you can buy this stuff so that you can sit in the squat and yeah. go to the toilet. Squat party. Yeah. So the ones out there listening be like, what? So apparently it is 
Well, you can tell more about that. Why is why is it so much better to be squatting when you're pooping? Uh, well, I mean, to be honest, um, if you've ever done it, you've probably done it in a forest or whatever. Um, and what I sense is that it, uh, that it's a little bit more efficient, <laughs> that, that stuff happens faster, and there is a slight tilt of your pelvis. It's slightly tucking the tailbone under, and apparently it's becoming quite to the... <laughs> <laughs> to the core here, but apparently that does something to your to the last part of to your rectum and <laughs> to the direction of that. Um, I mean, I have a daughter now of nine months, and I can see that whenever I place her in squatting position, she's pooping. So she's no longer using her diaper to poop in. I'm just holding her in a squat on top of our sink, and she's pooping. Uh, it's just a magical, magical um, posture, and it's. A bit of a tragedy that has been forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and the thing is, you don't realize how few that can do a squat until you you just like probably it's fine. But when you bring, I I normally see yogis in the yoga class. But when I'm doing corporate yoga, I realize how little movement there is. But you don't realize that because you see them in a suit, walking back and forth and sitting on their chairs, and they're doing that so they're good at sitting there and that work out. But as soon as you ask them for a simple little thing, lift your arm over your head, can't do it, bend forward, touch your toes, never ever, uh, sit down on the floor, like these 35, 40 year old guys, they look like 80 years old, um, and they will get injured in their backs, primarily they will get slipped discs, and probably at that point, they'll be like, mm, there was this thing called yoga that my wife has been doing for 10 years, maybe I should join forces, and then we play with them. Yeah. So my squad is not so good, but it's going to be great by the end of 2019. It's something to practice. Great. Definitely been inspired as well. So you mentioned as well you became a dad. What uh, what are some routines? I guess they must have changed a lot. Do you mm-hmm. have any routines right now? Or? Oh, it's been a great mess. It's been 2018 has by far been my biggest challenge. I started about the movement community in March 18, and I became a father in May so pretty amazingly bad timing and 18 has just been trying to keep track of that and most importantly i lost my practice pretty much i haven't been practicing i haven't been sleeping um you're still looking great shape (laughs) i well it's been a lot better the past couple of months because i deliberately saw and i saw how uh, not getting time to meditate not getting time to go for a run not doing my yoga practice was off tracking me in Astanga Yoga, they say practice and all will come. Um, and to some extent, I think that's really true. That the greediness of trying to create what you think is the right thing to create, there is a humbleness lacking. And what I like is when we practice, when we meditate, it's much more, it feels like I'm making myself available. I'm creating a foundation and from that creation can happen. Um, and, 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 and for me, whenever I practice, that is that reminder. Um, and, 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 so, and, and becoming a father has challenged that because there have been zero routines. So now there is, uh, one thing I've done is I've put self-praxis, self-practice on the schedule in Rod each Tuesday morning. And so far it's only me joining it. Yeah. And that's a huge success because I get to practice each Tuesday morning, but everyone I invited but it's difficult for people to practice on their own. It takes empowerment to practice on your own. Um, but that has been one hack for me to make sure that it happens. Um, and like you, I'm also 
looking a lot into making appointments with people where we actually move. Whenever I meet with Simon, it's to practice. Um, so, so, so getting it in that way. Uh, and then, I mean, then the, the practice of having a kid is to be on the floor, picking up things or being with the kid. And getting closer to the floor is, is amazingly good news for your hips, uh, for your glutes. Um, so that has been a good help. Yeah. You mentioned meditation a few times. Do you have a special kind of meditation that you do? Mm. I need to teach uh, classical mindful meditations. So either a focus meditation or an open meditation. What I just suggested earlier is a little bit of a mix between the two. Um, but when you sit with a relaxed face, feel the ground, and you allow the breath to flow freely, what appears there is possibly an open meditation. And meditation where you're not holding on to an anchor. Um, but a lot of times when I'm like under big pressure, uh, where there's a lot of chaos, a lot of thoughts, a lot of things to get done, uh, I appreciate focus meditations because there is something. Uh, I like the, for people that are new to meditation, I like the, the metaphor they have. They say in India that when they catch a wild elephant in the woods and you want to bring it to the circus, first you need to anchor it. And you're gonna put a big pole in the middle of the field and you're gonna tie it to that. And it's gonna run like mad. And it's gonna try to get away again and again and again. And that's your mind going crazy. But it's there's that pole. Maybe that's your breath. Maybe that is you sitting and looking into a light. Just some kind of focus. Once that elephant is starting to act peacefully, that means once you've sealed your mind or kind of calmed it down, you let go of the pole and then you have freedom. But you have a freedom that is calm, that is not running everywhere. And that's the open meditation. That's what can happen after you've cultivated over and over again. So we teach both in oil and I think both are of great value. Uh, the biggest releases, the biggest um, kind of amount of letting go has come through open meditations. But if, if there is chaos and I just try to go straight into it, it's just sitting and thinking with closed eyes for 30 minutes and there's no reward for that. No. Perfect. A few words about community and why that's so important. Mm -hmm. We talked about it a yeah. few times now, but... Yeah, and you talked about it. You said you wanted to meet your friends and play football. Um, and that's a little community you had in the morning playing football. Um, I think people are longing to belong. Symbol as that. In our postmodern world, where there is no more big stories about who we are as people. We're longing for meaningfulness. We're longing for meaningful communities. Um, so I care for people showing up to practice. And I know that if they're not feeling nurtured, if they're not feeling safe, if they're not feeling that someone else has their back, we're not going to get transformation. We're not going to see them evolve, uh, become more brave, more free. So from day one, we've really decided in wild to make it a place where you feel you belong. And that's a part of that is making them a part of creating it. So uh, we have built a garden together outside of what we've built our entrance. We've built a sauna. Uh, and all of that has made people feel that they belong. And if you go back to Buddhism, you have the, you have the, the basic organizational chart of Buddhism is to say, we have the Buddha, we have the Dharma, and we have the Sangha. The Buddha is the Buddha. It's basically someone some guy being on this planet showing that you can be a cool guy while being here. You don't have to create extra suffering through your acts. You can actually be happy and content yourself. 
he set the example and then he said second layer there's a dharma there's a, a few rules a few ideas and suggestions for what you should do to become enlightened to achieve buddha nature that's the dharma that's kind of the practice eventually he said and that's the sangha if you follow the dharma if you go on and start meditating doing yoga you're going to be a weird one you're going to be outside of society you're going to be an outcast when you are that you need support so join forces with other outcasts other fuck-ups that are also doing yoga and also meditating and these are all the fuck-ups we've put together right? <laughs> it's all the outcasts in a sangha and sangha means community it means family the tribe as said gordon is putting it also a big inspiration for for Rath. there is a tribe of people that are gathering around a diverse amount of practices with the common promise or purpose that we think is possible to live in this world and be cool as fuck. And it takes time and practice to get to that place. And so that's, that's our um, way of legitimizing um, a Sangha or a tribe or in yoga a Kula. Yeah, makes sense. So where can people find you afterwards if they want to get in contact with you or learn more about you? So a great place to meet me is obviously uh, to come to Rødt uh, here in Østerbro, join uh, some classes. Um, the website, Instagram, Facebook, and then there is uh, my personal website, jeppeskogger.com, um, where you can also make contact. And I teach some conferences, festivals, I work with corporates, do mindfulness seminars, do retreats for corporates, innovation retreats where I clear their minds so that they can come up with fresh ideas. Um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then once in a while they can find me in Sweden and take me to really see up there. Yeah. I'll make sure to put some links in the show notes so people can find them. Before we round off, one to three final advice on how to be the best version of yourself or the best yogi or the best move movement person, mover. I, at least for myself, again and again, the lesson has been to choose a practice, to commit to a practice. And it's always keeping me humble. And and it, it, it helps me to get to a state where I, when I don't know what to say, I'm keeping my mouth shut instead of starting to try and formulate something. So I think there's a great humbleness that comes through practicing and as soon as I practice I remember I'm here to service I'm not here to build a megalomanic ego-oriented project I'm here to do some work and as soon as I'm in that state it's amazing to create it becomes less neurotic less painful because it's not about me I'm just there doing something helping out as good as I can and there's a huge freedom in that so um So practice, if you can, practice. And if it's just the tiniest of practice, commit to some discipline practice. Uh, that's, uh, that's for sure what has helped me the most. Perfect. Jeppe, thank you so much for uh, for joining on, the, on this podcast. Thank you, Matt. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.